listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. I wonder what his voice sounded like. It was the first time that he had spoken in just about a year. Was it strong and recharged? Was it crackly and dry? Still warming back up, tired from unuse. And when he began to sing, did he have to clear his throat a few times first? Did he hit the right notes? You know, I bet he didn't really care. And I bet for the people in the room that day, it was the most moving thing that they had ever heard. Hope makes everything beautiful. Zechariah was a priest in a small town. An angel appeared and announced to him that his wife Elizabeth, who was older and well past the age of childbearing, would have a baby boy. And also that this boy, his son, who would be named John, would grow up to be a great prophet and would prepare the way for the Messiah, the Savior of Israel and the Savior of the world. I don't know which... Part of that message was more unbelievable to Zechariah. Was it the miracle pregnancy? Was it that he would become a baby boy, grown man, wild prophet in the wilderness? But because Zechariah was doubtful, God made him silent, unable to speak so that he would finally be able to listen to the voice of God in quiet instead of the sound of his own voice. Until finally, nine months later, the son was born, and on the day that the baby was named and circumcised, Zechariah's mouth was opened, and he erupted in a song of praise inspired by the Holy Spirit, as we're told in verse 67. And that song is what we have here in Luke chapter 1. Traditionally, the song has been called the Benedictus, based on the first word that appears in the Latin translation of this passage, the word blessed, Benedictus. And as we look at this song briefly, we're going to notice three themes. Three themes. Lights out here. Three themes that emerge from Zechariah's words. The arrival of freedom, the need for preparation, and the struggle of waiting. The arrival of freedom, the need for preparation, and the struggle of waiting. First, the arrival of freedom. What is it that Zechariah blesses, praises God for? It's the long-awaited arrival of God's liberating love. See it in verse 68. 
right from the start. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. We're familiar with that word redeem, but usually we use it in association with discount codes. Let's redeem that code. Or maybe with athletes that got something to prove, redeem team. But in the Bible, you may or may not know that the word redeem, to redeem, means to liberate or release by the payment of a ransom. To liberate or release by payment of a ransom. And by using that language here in this song, Zechariah is actually using the vocabulary of the Exodus. God will again visit his people, come down, and free them from captivity. You see, Zechariah is announcing that a new exodus is about to take place. Exodus 2.0, as it were. Just like God did in Egypt and through the Red Sea, he will do it once again, and he'll set his people free. And if we look closely, we'll notice that there are many characteristics, in fact, five here, characteristics to this freedom that Zechariah sings about. First, this freedom is political, physical. Verse 71 speaks of being saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Second, this freedom is not only political, but also spiritual. Verse 77 sings of salvation to the Lord's people in the forgiveness of their sins. Third, Zechariah sings about a freedom that comes from a person. Verse 68 tells us he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This language of, of a horn is a symbol of strength. We find it in the ancient world and all through the Old Testament. It's a picture of an ox or a bull raising up its head and horn in order to cast off and defeat one's enemies. And it eventually became a symbol of the coming Messiah, the King of David, who would come from the family of David. Indeed, it would be the horn of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord, that Zechariah was looking towards because God cares enough to come in person. Fourth, this freedom leads to service. It's not a freedom for its own ends, but rather freedom for the service of God. In verse 74, we're told that it describes this ultimate purpose that we might serve him, the Lord, without fear. There's a paradox there, of course. Sometimes we think that freedom means casting off all obligations or responsibilities to love. And yet here we're told the paradox of the gospel in this freedom, we are brought into joyful, indeed free, service to God and to our neighbor. And fifth of all this, all of this, all these blessings, all of this is provided, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of 
our God. Do you long for this freedom? Do you long to be free? And as you consider that, I just want to drop in a few quick thoughts before we move forward, and that is to remind you to remember those that languish in bondage and captivity under the burden of suffering. Because Zechariah reminds us that God came for you too. God visits those who are under oppression. God visits those who struggle with broken bodies. God visits those who feel stuck in poverty. God visits those who don't know where to turn, who languish in the loneliness of friendlessness. Will you remember those this Advent who are suffering? And will you also remember, secondly, forgiveness? The promise of forgiveness. Salvation that Zechariah sings about again in verse 77. God coming to bring his people the forgiveness of their sins. As a pastor, I worry at times that we are a generation that is forgetting the blessing of the forgiveness of our sins. It is a joy and a pleasure and a light to see a new generation of followers of Christ being awakened truly to a new kind of kingdom social consciousness, aware of the realities of oppression, invigorated to pursue the undoing of injustice. And yet my concern is that this is pursued at the expense of the joys and the glories of the forgiveness of our sins. Dear Christian, do you know that this is the chief blessing of what we receive in Christ and his gospel? Dear friends, we heard it earlier in the confession of sin and the assurance of pardon. You need to hear it again. Your sins are forgiven in Christ. Perhaps you don't know Christ, you're new to the Christian faith. Maybe you wandered into this sanctuary not knowing why you're here. Someone dragged you here. Your conscience brought you here, perhaps. Do you know that in Christ, you can find the gift of the forgiveness of every one of your sins? Christ who paid the price that we deserve. Christ that gives his liberating love, liberation from guilt and shame and the burden of the consequences of our sins, oh friend, will you receive his forgiving love today? Remember those who suffer. Remember a God who sees your suffering. Remember forgiveness. And most of all, remember this Advent, Jesus. He came for you. He came for me. And he's coming again, the Messiah Jesus, the promised one from the house of David, Jesus, the fulfillment of all the promises of God. It's easy, of course, to float through the season and even perhaps to move through the lament and darkness of Advent without fixing your eyes on the light, the one who finds, who is the fulfillment of all that we long for and remember in the Advent season. Set your gaze on Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah. 
Do you know this redemption, this promise of freedom? Do you know its arrival, both in part and one day in whole? Secondly, Zechariah sings of the need for preparation. We need to pay attention here because there's a prerequisite, prerequisite to receiving this redemption, the promise of freedom. There's a preparatory work that needs to happen in order for us to have it. And that's where John's role comes in, and this point will be short. Towards the bottom of the song in verse 76, Zechariah turns his attention away from the the scope of redemptive history, and he funnels it down to gazing in the face of his little boy, John. And he addresses him personally, saying to him, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. John came to prepare the people of God for the Son of God. It's hard for us to imagine the logic of God's kingdom, but it's a truth that we need to grapple with, that there's a a principle that we need to grapple with, and that is that in a sense, the Son of God, the Messiah, could not have come with fruitfulness and kingdom success apart from the sequence of this preparatory work. And what was that work of John's? It was in his message calling the people of God to what? Repentance. It was by putting a spotlight on their sin that he called their consciences to bear the weight of all their iniquity, to feel their transgression, to look at the darkness in order that they might see the light. Dear friends, have you gazed at the darkness? Again, not just the darkness without, but the darkness also within. It's easy to point to the perpetrations of justice around. Have you identified yourself as a perpetrator of justice as well? This is simply what I want to say in regards to John's preparatory work. God intends to soften our hearts, call you to repentance, to reckon with the darkness. And in repentance, what the Bible means is turning away from sin and turning towards God. Will you go to that low place and allow the Spirit of God to bring a softening to your heart? Friends, where are you resisting the preparatory work of the Holy Spirit? Where are you resisting the softening of God, which is a gift because he's preparing you to be able to receive, to have the soul capacity to receive the fullness of his salvation? And I hope you're not thinking about somebody else who needs this right now. You see, because you can be offered all these blessings of redemption, Zechariah is singing to us. You can be offered all these things and miss it all if you don't have first a readied heart. And so do not resist the chastening work of God in your life. 
Do not resist the hurts, the painful things that God in his love might right now be introducing to you, the struggles and the sorrow, the things that can, yes, either harden you further or soften you. Will you pay attention, even pray and plead with God that it will do its softening work, that pain, which might also include the pain of waiting, which brings us to the third point. The struggle of waiting. It's unmistakable in Zechariah's song that there's this sense that the arrival of God, promised though it was, was a long time in the coming. Verse 70 tells us that God had spoken about it by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old, and that was a long time ago. And verse 72 explains that God would redeem his people to show the mercy promised to our fathers a long time ago and to remember, because it was a long time ago, his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, who lived a long time ago. But see, even beyond these words, the entirety of Zechariah's story involves waiting. You may know that Zechariah and Elizabeth struggled with infertility for many years. They waited for a child for decades. And when Zechariah was rendered mute, couldn't speak, he also had to, what, wait for nine months before he could speak again. One of the great themes, lessons of the Advent season is the practice of waiting. Can we talk about this struggle of waiting for just a second as we close? I wonder, what have you been waiting for? Maybe a doctor's diagnosis. Maybe waiting for pain in your family and your marriage to finally go away. Maybe it's the grief or loss that haunts you day in and day out. Maybe it's a particular struggle with sin or addiction that you're curious why it hasn't gone away or gotten easier. What are you waiting for? I know I don't need to tell you that waiting is hard. It is hard. And I think it's hard partly because of this unique mixture that we feel of of exhaustion on the one hand, you're just running out of gas, but then also fear the fear of what I might lose, the, the fear if the ending of the story doesn't work out, the fear of disappointment. In fact, because of those fears, it's in that waiting room that sometimes we even give up on praying. You're scared to pray. Perhaps that's why some of you haven't for a long time bowed your heads. Waiting, you know, is kind of like a spiritual muscle And can we be honest enough to admit that our whole generation, not just you, but all of us, are kind of out of shape? I mean, let's be honest, right? Amazon isn't doing us any favors. Two-day shipping. And now they got that little $2.99 overnight thing going on. Whenever we wait, now we got our phones to distract us, numb us from the weariness of waiting. I mean, everywhere you go, 
You might have noticed you got counters now that sort of count down the minutes or the seconds just so that you know that your wait isn't too long. How many minutes until your Uber arrives? How long until that software downloads? Six, five, four, because we just can't wait. We need a number. We need a number is how bad we are at waiting. We're all children in the back seat calling out to the front. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I do too. I do too. And don't you know our world is making us children in our waiting. But do you also know that waiting isn't just holding your breath? Waiting isn't just bracing yourself or letting the time pass. And speaking of time, I've been thinking about how important it is in our waiting to understand the time of God. It's not just about holding your breath until time elapses. It's actually reframing the way that we look at time itself. Have you noticed this? This word from 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow. And what the apostle is telling us, therefore, is that one of the struggles we have with waiting and with the elapsing of time in this world is that we're not carefully attuned to, calibrated to the time of God. God is actually training our souls to be brought up into his eternality, to be able to measure the world and it's his dealings with this world around the frame of how God relates to us in the way that time passes for him. A lifetime for us seems long to God. It is short. But here's good news. Eternity to us is even longer. The joy of heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, what we have in store for us is forever and ever and ever. Our lives find its meaning and our waiting finds its timing in God's larger story of redemption and the length of his eternity. Will we begin to see our suffering, our timing, our waiting, our anticipation, even our disappointments in light of the timeline of God? Advent is an invitation to reorganize your lives around a different storyline and a different timeline. In considering this topic of waiting, I was reading and listening, in fact, this past week to a lecture by Henry Nouwen, the Dutch-Canadian priest and author who gave a lecture called A Spirituality of Waiting. And there were lots of great points that he taught on, and you can find it online, A Spirituality of Waiting. But three in particular stood out to me, and I think they might be helpful to you also as we consider the struggle with waiting. First of all, he said, true Christian waiting, true waiting is active waiting, not passive waiting. Here's what he says. Active waiting means to be fully present to the moment in the conviction that something is happening. God is doing something. You see, when you're waiting for that thing, when you're waiting on God, be fully aware that God is there, that God is present that God is doing something. 
And the invitation of active waiting is to become quiet enough in our souls to discern what God is doing, or at least his presence, which we are typically blind and deaf to sometimes because we just want that thing. Or we just want it all to end. Active waiting. Secondly, now one says, waiting is open-ended. And for this, I just want to read an extended quote here because I think it's so helpful. Open-ended waiting, he said, is hard for us because we tend to wait for something very concrete, for something we wish to have. Much of our waiting is filled with wishes. I wish that the weather would be better. I wish that the pain would go. For this reason, a lot of our waiting is not open-ended. Instead, our waiting is a way of controlling the future. We want the future to go in a very specific direction, and if this does not happen, we're disappointed and can even slip into despair. To wait open-endedly is an enormously radical attitude towards life, so as to trust that something will happen to us that is far beyond our imagining. So, too, is giving up control over our future and letting God define our life, trusting that God molds us according to God's love and not according to our fear. Open-ended waiting means you're waiting on God with a wild imagination that God might do something that's completely off your radar. In fact, that might be why it seems like he's working so slowly. And in fact, it's in that state when you feel like you don't yet have it that God has already placed it in your hand. Because he might be giving you what you need and not just what you want or wish. Beloved, can you be brought into a posture of open waiting? And thirdly, now, and says, waiting is fueled by promises. Here's his quote. People who wait, as he looks at the Bible, people who wait have received a promise that allows them to wait. They received a promise that allows them to wait. It's the spiritual power that we have, the promise of God. And remember, the promise of God is not simply that God will give you that discrete, concrete thing that you've been wishing for, but rather his arrival. God will be with you in all things. God will bring his redeeming love into your life. God has promised that he will shine light into your darkness. God will be Emmanuel. God with us. We see that promise at the end of this song, of course, verses 78 and 79. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. You feel surrounded by the dark. Maybe it feels intolerable. Here's what Zechariah sings. The sun is rising. Do you see the dawning light? Do you see the Messiah, the Son of God, who came and is coming again, giving light to those sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death? So often we demand answers of God. We want him to give us answers. God gives us his presence. God gives us himself. We just want relief. God gives us resurrection. 
Uh, we want a candle to see what's right in front of our feet. Let me know where I'm going. God gives us the sun. And he warms the world and warms our heart and gives us hope and gives us guidance for our feet in the way of peace. Dear friends, will you hang on to that promise? The promise that Jesus is near. Even as you wait, even as you go through the grind of God's preparatory work, even as you seek the freedom that he promises in his redemption. Beloved, Jesus has come. Jesus is coming again. Zechariah sang that song. Will we sing it too? Let's pray. Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.